Is abortion justified when the mother is young? Are you calling me a murderer? Are you saying that I killed my child? And what about abortion when the mother's life is at risk? How would you answer these questions if they were brought up in conversations with your friends, with your colleagues, with those uh, who you study with? How would you respond to them? Would you be tongue-tied or would you be prepared to give an effective answer to some of these justifications for abortion and some of the things that we hear from time to time when we're in conversations today? Our goal is to share with you how we would respond and how we do respond in the conversations we have with those who support abortion. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Peter, host of the show, and Cam, the co-host, is on the other side of the screen. Hello, sir. How are you doing, Peter? I, I am doing well out here. I'm looking forward to getting you here in person. We'll record in person in a couple of weeks here. How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing really well. I'm excited about that. We've been podcasting for over a year, and this will be the first time that we will be together recording in the same room. Um, so hopefully that dynamic plays out really well. I think it will. Usually we get along when we're together, so I'm sure that's going to come Hopefully. out across on, yeah, that's right, on uh, on the podcast um, audio as well. So thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. Like I said, my name is Peter. We are two guys, Cam and I, who are passionate about ending the killing of preborn children here in Canada. And our goal on this podcast is to equip you to have effective and winsome conversations as well, to give you the tools that you need to change minds and save lives in the conversations that you will be a part of. And that's what we really want to focus on today. We talk a lot about apologetics. We talk a lot about being prepared to have those conversations, not being tongue-tied uh, when a justification comes up or some sort of argument comes up, but being ready to have those winsome conversations and being able to actually see someone change their mind on abortion. And so we want to dive right in. As I mentioned right off the top of the show, uh, we have three arguments that we want to get through today or three things that we hear. The first one is, is abortion justified when the mother is too young? The second one is, is the claim, are you calling me a murderer? Are you calling me a killer? And just sharing how we would effectively uh, respond to that on the streets. And the third one is a challenging one as well, something we've talked about in the past as we'll reference. But what about abortion when the life of the mother is at risk or the life or the health or whatever it might be? So Cam, let's dive right in. Uh, let's st start right in the in a difficult one, uh, this is a, an argument we hear often on the streets when people come to us and use their justification. They often come to some sort of, you know, some sort of argument like this one, some sort of, uh, you know, along these lines, abortion is justified when a mother is too young. Now, as we often do, Cam, we often like to start with what they're getting at. So maybe help us out a little bit. When you hear something like this, uh, from someone on the streets. What are they getting at? What are you hearing? What is it that you try to respond to? Yeah, for sure. This is something that I've heard time and time again, not only on street corners and doorsteps, but I would argue even more often at senior high schools. Peter, you and I are often at senior high schools where not only are our students coming to their their initial conclusion on the abortion issue, they're making up their minds on what they believe about abortion. Um, it's being taught in the schools and all that kind of thing, but also this is where people are becoming pregnant as well. It's not just college kids that are becoming pregnant. High school students become pregnant as well. And one thing that I think is important to recognize is that there's two kind of components that a lot of these people are getting at, whether they're in high school themselves or whether they're thinking about high school students. 
yes, on the one hand, there are some people who are thinking about this with regards to the welfare of that newborn child. They're saying, oh my goodness, think about that newborn child and think about how difficult their life is going to be if their mother is in high school. Think about the lack of support, the lack of maturity that their parent is going to have. This is going to be really tough on that baby. And, and there is a sizable demographic that do have that child as their primary concern of like, this kid's quality of life is going to be really low. But Peter, from my experience, the majority of the people who talk to me about the age of the mother are actually more concerned about the life of that, the actual mother sort of thing, not, not the child that's being born, not their quality of life, but rather the quality of life of the mom and potentially the dad as well, with this notion that these kids just made a mistake. You're asking them to throw their entire life away um, and they're going to be pregnant. They're not going to be able to pursue um, their, their post-secondary education. They're not going to be able to pursue careers. They're going to be a single mom or a single dad. They're not going to have a healthy relationship and, and marriage. And they're not going to be able to have a good life. You're really willing to tank the rest of their life um, because of one simple tiny mistake that they made. I, I think often um, this this might be kind of funny for some people. Some people, this might not resonate at all. There's a, a classic movie from the 90s that I'm not a big fan of called Mean Girls. And there's this PE teacher who's doing their sex ad that says, like, if you have sex, you will get pregnant and you will die. This idea that like your life is over. And there's a lot of people who think that it's a condemnation. Like this is a a civil judgment on these moms, these, these teenage moms saying like, we are going to ruin your, your life. Absolutely. You don't deserve a good life if you make one tiny mistake in high school. And I think that that's what a lot of people are getting at when they bring up this mother's too young kind of notion that in, in part of their mind, they're thinking about the quality of life of the child, but largely the, the majority of their focus is on the quality of life of the mother and or father who are involved in that and how this is going to derail so many of their plans that they've laid out in front of them. Yeah, that's that's right. And that's key. And I often hear people say something along the lines of like, you know, you're you're you you honestly want a child to have another child to give birth to another child. Um, they're still a child. They're, they shouldn't be able to do that for the reasons that you mentioned, Cam. And now. I often think, you know, when we're doing these episodes about one of the things you've taught me, and that's the the tendency that we have, I certainly have this from time to time, to want to either resolve the problem or to refute it. Now, we can resolve the problem in a sense with true facts. We can refute a problem with true facts. But in a conversation, when we're trying to change someone's mind on abortion, these are not going to be the most effective. And so one of the ways we could refute this perhaps would be to share some stats. A 2015 study indicates that people under 17 years old account for approximately 2.2% of all abortions. So we could say it's like so minimal, it's so small, you know, this hardly happens at all. So how can this be your justification? We can also resolve it by saying that there are many schools and other support programs that are rapidly advancing in their ability to support mothers and to make teenage pregnancy much more manageable. And if you would just connect to some of these programs, then your life would be better and you'd be able to work through this. We're trying to resolve the issue for them in the conversation. But a key thing to remember, Cam, um, is that these things don't get to the heart of the abortion conversation. And at the end of the day, they don't, they're not going to change someone's mind on abortion because you're not actually talking about 
whether abortion is right or wrong and the, the heart of the question, the heart of heart of the issue, which is who are preborn children. But you're dealing with some of the issues on the side. Are they important things to talk about from time to time? Sure, they absolutely could be. But in our conversations to, to change people's minds, we need to remember not to refute the claim that they're they're making and not to resolve the claim uh, that they're making with some of our own suggestions and recommendations, but to use some of the tools that we've presented in the past, finding common ground, using analogies, and asking questions and doing that strategically so that we can get those people to think more deeply about the issue at hand, about abortion, as, not just abortion you know, by itself, but even abortion in light of some of these difficult circumstances, including this one where we're talking about uh, you know, a young person being pregnant with uh, a young child. So Cam, how would you start to respond to someone on the streets who brings something like this up? Where would, where would you start? How would you walk through the conversation? So one last thing I'll mention before I dive into what I would do, one thing that you shouldn't do, that, that I think this is one of the most scarring and problematic things that you can do. It, it's not refuting or even resolving. The number of people that I've heard callously kind of condemn this as a, a life lesson opportunity. Well, she should have just kept her legs closed. I, I remember right. I was at a high school choice chain and I had a pro-lifer come by. He was just walking through the street. He met us. We had a short conversation. And one of the girls brought this up and he said, well, you should have just kept your legs closed. And I almost punched him in the nose. Like I, I straight up said to that girl, this guy's not with us. He has no idea what he's talking about. Don't listen to a word he says. Like I was so mad that he would say that because the idea of like, oh, well, you have to deal with the consequences of your actions. Okay. Well, that that is a thing. But to treat this as a life lesson is not going to help the situation. This isn't like, okay, you cheated on a test, you go to the tension, you have to rewrite the test kind of thing. This isn't like a, you know what, this is a little slap on the wrist kind of thing. For this girl, she's looking at, does the, if we're going to consider this as a consequence or a punishment, does the next, however, like 80 years of my life is that kind of punishment, if we're going to view it as a punishment, warrant the crime of premarital sex? Um, I, I think that's a really bad route to go. So please don't ever, ever, ever say that. What we should say, common ground analogy question, common ground. I mean, you and I can agree that it can be incredibly difficult as a young woman, as a girl in high school, um, to be pregnant. Right? There, there's lacking in support and understanding and acceptance, the ostracization, the, um, the, the, the challenges, the social challenges, the emotional challenges, the physical challenges of being pregnant in high school are incredible. Right? We have to recognize that. We have to empathize with that. That said, we can build into our analogy by saying, imagine that somebody in grade 10 became pregnant and she was, she happened to be at one of these really progressive high schools where they had a daycare right there in the school. They had support available. They had counselors that could help out. They had at distance learning for during the last couple months of pregnancy when she may not be able to make it into class. She's at one of these progressive schools. we got a couple of them here in Calgary. I'm sure they've got a bunch of them in Toronto. Imagine she says, you know what? We can do this. My boyfriend is here. My parents are supportive. And she goes ahead and she has the baby. She's got that support. The school's helping out. It's fantastic. But when she's in grade 11, that kid is one year old, her parents, their jobs transfer them to a new city. And no longer are they living in Toronto. They're living in like some really cool, don't get me wrong, but like some random place like Hornpain, Ontario, someplace that's like super out in the middle of nowhere. And the high school, it's a great high school. The teachers are cool. The kids are nice, all that kind of thing. But they move there. And her boyfriend doesn't move. 
And maybe that high school isn't equipped to have at-distance learning or in in in-school daycare. Maybe her parents aren't able to help out as much because they are um, settling into their own jobs and the transfer is not super smooth. Would we ever suggest that she can kill her one-year-old child because being in grade 11 is far too young to have a one-year-old child without any external support? Pivot to the question that brings us back to the humanity of the preborn. If we're not willing to kill a one-year-old when their mom is too young to support her, why are we willing to kill a preborn child when her mom is supposedly too young to support her? Brings it back to the humanity of the preborn. Brings in what I think is a very relevant, very realistic, and very relatable kind of circumstance for people, analogy for people. Um, that's how I would do it, Peter. Does that make sense to you? It does. Yeah. And one of the things um, that we like to highlight in these types of conversations is that we are dealing with the truth of what abortion is, but we're also doing so gently. We're doing so uh, taking into consideration the circumstances that the the person is in um, and and really trying to help them as well. Right. Showing that compassion, showing that that empathy for them in that situation, while at the same time recognizing that these these uh, these preborn children are, in fact, human beings and they are, in fact, alive today. And so that's good. Yeah, Cam, thank you so much for that. Uh, that's that's what it looks like to find common ground, to use analogies, and to ask questions. Those analogies are key uh, in terms of what we call trotting out the toddler. So using uh, a, a toddler in the same situation and asking whether we should be allowed to end the life of that child. And if we shouldn't, why should we be allowed to end the life of the very same child for the very same reason just a few months before when that child is in the womb? So thank you, Cam. Uh, if you have nothing else to add we'll dive into number two and that is the question are you calling me a murderer or are you calling me a killer are you saying that i killed my child now this will often come perhaps in a conversation towards the end maybe it could be someone who walks up um so if it's at the end of the conversation it could be someone comes to the realization that their child is a human being it could be someone angrily walks up to you if you they find you doing a, a display or something or it could be someone who just responds you know I, I, as a fellow colleague or a student uh, who just responds when you present your position on abortion like are you calling me a murderer or are you calling me a killer cam what can we what can we think about again we're going to ask the same question uh, that we did in the previous ones and that is what are these people getting at? What are they saying? How can we start to think about you know, what they are communicating to us so we know how to effectively respond back to them? Mm-hmm. So I think it's different depending on how it comes up. So you mentioned the two kind of ways that it comes up. Either it comes up at the very beginning of conversation or it comes up towards the end of conversation. If it comes up at the beginning of conversation, what I think is generally happening is that people are misunderstanding the reason or the purpose of our outreach. They think, um, and... And obviously, they're in a, a vulnerable state. If they've had an abortion, they, they've got all of this emotional baggage that's going with them. And they might look at a display that you're doing or pro-life outreach that you're doing and say, this person is trying to stand up on a high chair, on, up on their high horse, and, and kind of point condemnation in my direction. They are trying – their goal is to look into the past and make declarations of right and wrong, goodness and evil based on what happened in the past. On the flip side – If it comes up later in conversation, it's often somebody coming to the realization of, oh my goodness, I think that I have killed my child. And I think that maybe this means that I'm a murderer. They've come to an intellectual understanding of what has happened. And it's no longer this person is trying to project into me, but rather I'm coming to this 
are you coming to this too? Like, like, am I incorrect in thinking that if this is a human life, then I have killed that child. And in doing so, I am a murderer. And so I think that the, the process that they come to that kind of statement is very different for the two. And because of that, I think that we have to navigate them slightly differently, Peter. Um, so what, what I would say for the former, when, when somebody just kind of approaches like, hey, are, are you calling me a murderer? Or are you calling my, my wife, my sister, my whomever uh, a murderer? I think it, it's important to initially offer a clarification to say, what we're doing here isn't looking at the past. What we're doing here is trying to help people for the future. First and foremost, the point of pro-life educational outreach is to protect children in the future. Sure, we have that secondary goal of trying to help and minister to people who have chosen abortion in the past. But what I want to do is offer that clarification right off the bat. You know what? I, I understand this is a really, really heavy topic. And I want you to understand that what we're doing is not pointing back into the past and, and trying to judge and condemn people. We're here to help people in the challenges that they're encountering right now and trying to help them not make a really hard, really bad decision in the future. From there, we'd go into what we would call hard apologetics. We've talked about it in, in past episodes, Peter, about how we want to try to love them genuinely. If they have had an abortion, we need to love them genuinely and often seek to understand where are you at? How are you doing now? Like, how are you doing? Are you in a good place? Are you in a good relationship? Are you in a good place? Have you had the opportunity to speak with people about your abortion experience? Have you been able to process it? We're not going to try to straight out say like every woman regrets their abortion within a year of having an abortion. That's not, that's not true. Many women do come to regret their abortions all on a different time scale, all in a different way. This experience is so heart-wrenching and so different for each person that we can't say that everyone regrets their abortion within X amount of time. I want to offer that and kind of plant that seed that we're here to help, regardless of what they've chosen or not chosen in the past. True love means the highest good for the other person, regardless of what they've done, regardless of the choices and decisions that they've made. Um, and so I want to give that clarification for them. Peter, when it comes to the other end, when I'm talking to somebody and I'm talking them through abortion um, and walking them through whether it's our human rights argument, whether it's the, the human plus X notion, the human rights argument for those who are tuning in for the first time here, these four progressive questions that walk people through an understanding of the presence and value of human life. First question being, do you agree that all humans should get human rights? Second question being, if something is growing even from one cell to two cells to four cells, isn't it alive? Third question being, wouldn't that living organism be human if they have human parents? And fourth and finally, doesn't that make abortion a human rights violation? If we've walked through those four questions, if we've demonstrated that the differences that exist between born and preborn human beings are a result of our age, making abortion age-based discrimination, we, as they come to that understanding, as they come to, oh my goodness, this totally is a human being, this totally is a valuable human being like you and I, and I totally had an abortion. Maybe I've had multiple abortions. A, a quote that comes to mind, Peter, I know that you know this very well. I'm pretty sure that you've shared this on the podcast before. Um, I, I think of it from our, our colleague and friend, Devorah Stacy, who says often, and I know that other people have said it as well, but I often think of Devorah who says, um, love, uh, truth without love is ineffective. 
but love without truth is a lie. I need to love them genuinely, but I need to be honest with them. And so if they say, oh my goodness, I agree that abortion is a human rights violation. I totally did this. I killed my child. Like, like, did I kill my child? Did, did I kill my child? It's essential, as awkward as it can feel, to be honest with the person that you're talking to and, and not blunt, simple honest. Not like, oh yeah, you totally murdered your kid. You're totally a killer. You you totally or you killed multiple kids. Like that's basically a serial killer. That's not quite the angle that we want to go. We want to acknowledge that that yeah, tragically, you have made a decision to kill your child. You have made that decision, and there's hope and healing for you. There's hope and healing for you to be able to um, grieve and process and find reconciliation through this decision that you've made. It, it is a disservice to the people that we talk to, to dance around the facts and lie to them by saying, oh no, you, you didn't kill them. You didn't know, you didn't know what you were doing. You're not to blame. You're not guilty of anything. Don't feel bad. Um, you were in a, a messed up period in your life. You're not accountable for this. Yes, I, I'm, I can't give them a, a, a ledger of their accounts with the Lord sort of thing. I, that's not my position to do. It's not anyone else's position, but the Lord's. But to say that they haven't made a bad decision, to say that they haven't sinned in having abortion is a disservice to them. It is excluding them from the opportunity for healing, excluding them from the opportunity for for mercy. And they're not going to get mercy from anyone outside of the pro-life movement, right? Like this is arguably a uniquely Christian um, concept, right? The, The notion that you can be forgiven of a decision that you've made especially by someone other than the victim of that decision, right? Uh, Peter, if I, if I steal your wallet, yeah, you're, you're going to be the main person who's going to have to forgive me once I give that back to you. The notion that the Lord can forgive me if you die before I, I make amends to you is, is a foreign concept for so many people, and yet an absolutely essential concept that people need to be aware of. And so I know this is a long-winded answer, Peter, but I think that this is really what we need to do when this comes up later in the conversation. We need to acknowledge that, yes, if they've come to realize that this is a human being, that they have killed that human being. I don't think that it makes sense necessarily based on whether it's the legal description of what what is necessary for murder, a a foreknowledge and a a cognizant decision to do it with that foreknowledge and whatnot. I, I don't think that we need to necessarily split hairs on whether or not this this is is defined by legal murder because regardless of whether it is or it's not there's no legal repercussions right now in canada but there are moral repercussions and good moral repercussions that can be found with groups like silent no more awareness campaign we'll throw that link in the show notes below we're gonna have somebody on from silent no more awareness campaign this autumn i'm super looking forward to that um silent no more awareness campaign other initiatives like that can help and heal and work with mothers and fathers who have chosen abortion um that's where i would go with that peter does that make sense to you that does, yeah, and don't apologize for for, as you say, being long witted. It's it's a fantastic answer and one that that people would do well to take heed. And and I think one of the things that highlights is is what we've talked about before. If we go into a conversation with a facts don't care about your feelings, and we get to a point where someone says, okay, so like, am I a murderer then? And you're like, as a matter of fact, yes. Um, we're in the conversation for the wrong reasons, perhaps. Right? We're not showing concern for that person. We're not caring for that person. We're not. 
um, recognizing the challenges that they might be facing at this point. One of the things that I've asked in these situations, Cam, is the question, how does that make you feel? Or what comes to mind when you come to that realization or when you when you pose a question like that? And, and that's a way where I'm not the one saying, you know, you've sinned, you've done what was wrong and you've done what was bad and you've ended the life of your child. But I'm allowing them to process some of the new feelings and some of the new thoughts that were introduced to them in that conversation. And that often leads to what we call, uh, you know, a heart conversation, it leads to a conversation where we're able to present that healing, we're able to present that forgiveness, and we're able to walk with them as much as possible to, you know, to, to for them to begin that journey to get that healing and forgiveness from the things that they've done in the past. Yeah, one one super interesting thing that I'll add, our, our colleague and friend Jonathan Van Maren, he's been on the show a few times. Um, great, great guy. He did a wonderful interview on his podcast, The Van Maren Show, that you can find on LifeSite News. Um, you can also find it on The Bridgehead. He did an, ep um, an episode, episode 111 with Laura Clausen from Choice for Two, talking about the language of the abortion conversation. And and I, I think that it's a fantastic episode and dovetailing with what you had said there, Peter, I think that they have a really good point about 20 minutes into the interview where, where Laura Clausen says, as we're walking through this, they pose this question and we can turn it back to them and say, well, what do you think? How, how would you assess this situation? Like, like not only where are you at, where do you feel, how do you feel about this, but how would you describe this? I'm, I'm not going to necessarily put my words into your brain or my words into your mouth. Like, help me understand how you would process this information. You've just come to an understanding that abortion does kill an innocent human being. You've come to the understanding that you made that con that decision in light of whatever you had going on. H how would you characterize that? And allowing them to be the ones who acknowledge or process where they're at maybe they're not ready to say yeah i totally killed my kid and maybe we don't want to force them too quickly down that road maybe we don't want to um take them somewhere that they're not ready to be yet but for many of these women i've spoken with with i was going to say several but it's far more than several dozens of women who have had abortions and have come to this very conclusion some of them had come to it before the conversation i had with them some of it within the midst being like oh my goodness i totally did that and what does that mean for me okay well bearing this info in mind where, where are you at right now what do you think that it means for you well it it means that i'm a murderer you know what what does it mean for the future for the future, well, I, I have no idea what I need to do now. I, How am I supposed to bear this burden? How am I supposed to bear this burden alone? Well, you don't need to bear this burden alone. Can I connect you with a group like Silent No More? And so just to dovetail off of what you said, I think that's a fantastic question. How do you feel about this? And then also allowing them to put words to where they're at in their journey of acknowledgement and recovery. I, I think that's a really, really beautiful way to do it. Perfect. Thank you, sir. And with that, we wrap up that second point uh, of the episode. And with that, we go to the third and final one. And that is the question, what about abortion when the mother's life is at risk? You know, if we're pro-life, if we care about both the mother and the child, what if the mother's life is at risk? You know, wouldn't it make most sense, perhaps, to have one person die being the, the child rather than two people die being the mother and the child? Now, we've talked about this before, Cam, uh, more in depth with, with uh, a doctor, Dr. Ryan Wilson, in episode number 21. 
where he answered the question, among other questions, is abortion ever medically necessary? So if you want to learn more and if you want to go more in depth to that, you can get some pretty technical uh, medical language from Dr. Ryan Wilson. Some of the stuff is is way above my head, but it was a fascinating conversation nonetheless. Um, but when we're on the streets, we're not going to be presenting people with you know, we're not going to have, you know, send them a medical textbook and say, read this and come back to me. And we're not going to give them like these big terms and, um, you, you know, the, the difficult concepts that is hard for a lot of us to understand because we're not doctors and haven't spent that much time in that field of study. But we do want to respond to them well. We do, we do want to respond to them effectively. And so that's what we're going to get at here. Cam, maybe again, one more time. Um, what are they getting at? How do you start to respond? How do you think about some of the things that they're communicating to you? Yeah, so I, I've had this come up on, on Street Corners a ton of times, as I'm sure you have as well, Peter. And I know that our interns, um, big shout out to our interns who are fantastic around doing choice chain right now here in Calgary at the time of recording. Um, absolute champs getting out there and having these conversations. And they, they hear this all the time. And I think that initially it comes from a point of disbelief because they don't understand what pro-lifers are saying, that it comes across really callous. First of all, if, if the person is thinking the pro-lifer doesn't want to do anything. They just want to, to sit on their hands and and let nature take its course. That they were all about the natural process. And if the mother dies, then the mother dies. Um, that is the Lord's will for the mother sort of thing. And this is what pro-lifers believe, and they don't want to have any kind of intervention. And I think that that's a, a very poor representation of where pro-lifers are at. That said, I think there is also a very strong undercurrent that our culture has been lying to people for a really long time. And I I'm sure that there's people far smarter than myself that can speak to why this happens, but our culture has been trying to make people less and less courageous for a really long time. Our culture, for, for whatever reason, I, I feel like it's pushing it on every angle that our culture is constantly trying to tell people, you can't do that. Or, or you, that should not be expected of you, that, that should not be demanded of you, that, that you shouldn't have to rise to that level, you shouldn't have to act courageously in that way. I'm sure there's lots of reasons why our culture is trying to press that. But those are kind of two components that I have to be aware of going into it, that is this person saying that, that we shouldn't make any sacrifice, that we shouldn't call mothers and fathers, um, people who are, who are impacted um, very desperately by these uh, medical prognoses, that, that, that there's no call for courage in this, that parenthood does not demand courage. Or is it somebody who simply doesn't understand our take and thinks that we callously want to just, no, you're, you have to let nature take its course. I think that those are two of the big misunderstandings that people have. Is, is that something you've seen as well, Peter, in conversations you've had or, or am I um, flying solo on that one? <laughs> no, no, I think it's consistent across the board. We're on different sides of the country, but we often hear the same arguments and the same reasons. And that's because mainly what you said, the culture has been lying to us. It's been a consistent uh, and and longstanding form of messaging that's been taking place in our schools, uh, on social media and elsewhere. That's you know teaching people um, precisely what what you've presented there. I don't need to to restate it. I, the challenge here, I guess, Cam, is that abortion is not just letting someone die uh, in a situation, but it happens to be the active facilitator in the death of a person. And so, what we need to ask ourselves is: Are we willing, in some ways, to end the life? of a child to save the life of someone else? Are we willing to end the life of a preborn or born child to save the life of someone else? 
or will there be other options? Now we can talk about that briefly shortly when we talk about common ground analogy question, but I want to touch on the tendency to refute and to resolve again. Because we can bring up stats, we can bring up figures, we can bring up different things that doesn't actually help in the conversation quite that much, uh, but might make us feel somewhat satisfied. So for example, a situation in pregnancy where a woman's life is threatened happens to be particularly rare, making up less than 1% of abortions. And so, you know, we could start a stat war, we could uh, start a, you know, this doesn't really matter. How can you present such an argument? Because, you know, 1% of abortions isn't representative of of all of them at all. And so uh, it's not worth it to bring it up. But again, this doesn't actually answer the question of what abortion is. The same thing, I guess, to, you know, to resolve, I've often heard people uh, and I've done this in the past as well. I I, I don't do it anymore, but um, we'll be like, have you heard of the Dub Dublin Declaration on Maternal Healthcare? And they'll be like, no, no one, no one's heard that. And they'll say, well, there are these um, experienced practitioners and researchers in obstetrics and gynecology, and they affirm that direct abortion, the purposeful and intentional ending of a preborn child's life, is actually not medically necessary to save the life of the woman. And then when I've used that and when I've heard people use that, they'll often be like, yeah, well, this abortionist said it, it is necessary and this doctor said it's necessary and that person wrote an article about it's necessary. And so we get into a sort of like, my expert says this, your expert says that, an expert uh, war, never really getting to what abortion does in this circumstance and how we can actively uh, and actually find a solution for some of these circumstances, Cam. So let's get to, to the way we would respond using our common ground, finding common ground, using analogies and asking questions. Where would you start a conversation? What's the first thing you would say? How would you navigate your way through this conversation with this particularly difficult example? Gotcha. So I'm going to hit you with a remix here, Peter, because I think there's two ex extra steps that we want to have in these conversations about a mother's life in danger. And the sure. first one that we need to put in is a clarification. Clarification, does this person recognize that a preborn child is human or not? Because if they don't think that a preborn child is human and they're just trying to use this case as the most um, complicated or emotionally charged case, and but they, they think abortion is okay for any reason or no reason whatsoever, and they're just trying to talk about medical um, cases because that puts pro-lifers on the wrong foot, then... It, it does make a ton of sense to go through all of this logic and theory when they don't view the preborn child as human anyways. And so you want to clarify, like, like just, I, I want to answer this question. I want to answer it well. But before I do that, can I just clarify with you that do you agree that the preborn child is a human worth human rights? Like, are we talking about two equal humans who get human rights? And how do we deal with scenarios in which a mother's life is in danger, bearing in mind that child has human rights? Or do you not view that child as having human rights? If they don't view that child as having human rights, and I would segue directly towards the human rights um, argument, that those four questions I talked about earlier, that's where I would go. So clarification comes first. That said, there are a lot of people, though, that say, no, I, I totally acknowledge that this is a human being. They get human rights. I just don't know how to navigate these scenarios with a mother's life in danger. And so the common ground that we're going to build is, is should be fairly evident, I think, I hope, in that I... I agree that this would be incredibly overwhelming for a mother, um, whether they, they're excited about the pregnancy or whether they're daunted by the pregnancy. It, it's daunting to be told by a doctor that you could die for any reason, right? Whether, whether it's um, because you're getting too much sun and you might get skin cancer, whether it's because of other factors, whether you have diabetes, whether you have anything, it's terrifying to be told that you're going to die. 
And especially terrifying when that's tied to something, what we hope to be as beautiful as pregnancy. And so I agree that that would be overwhelming and daunting and unimaginable. The second change that I'm going to put in here before I do the analogy is I want to put in a definition, and Peter, you alluded to it, the definition of what we mean by abortion. I will ask something along the lines of, could we agree that abortion is not simply any procedure which results in the death of a child, but only those procedures which directly and intentionally bring about the death of the child? And sometimes you get a confused look and you might have to offer an explanation. There's some people who'll be like, no, I, I totally agree with that. I agree that abortion isn't just anything that, that kills a child, but um, intentionally kills a child. Then I'll follow that line and then I'll go back to the other one. If they say that, then we can say, okay, bearing that in mind, there's a tremendous amount of evidence and medical testimony saying that there's always an alternative medical um, procedure that can save the life of the mother without directly or intentionally killing the child. We talked uh, with Neve Ibrain from Ireland about the Savita case in Ireland and how medical um, professionals have corrected the decision that abortion was not medically necessary for that. It's never medically necessary as long as we're doing a procedure that isn't trying to kill the child. As long as we're not doing something that is directly acting on their body and trying to kill the child, then um, we can morally proceed with it, even if it has the tragic outcome of that child dying. And this is where we link back to that previous one. If they, if they have got a question mark on their face, sometimes I'll give an example. I'll give an example saying, imagine that a mother is pregnant and is diagnosed with late-term cancer. Ideally, we're able to delay treatment, chemotherapy, radiation, until that child can be delivered um, viably. The child survives even in the incubator unit, and then we proceed with um, the radiation, chemotherapy sort of thing, knowing that chemotherapy and radiation would have a very profound, almost certainly a fatal impact on that child. However, in a case in which that child is really young, say like 8 or 12 weeks old, and we simply cannot delay treatment um, long enough for that child to be delivered viably, I think that, that within the pro-life community, we can agree that there's a, a moral option for that mother to receive chemotherapy and radiation to save her own life, though tragically her child will die. However, it's not directly and intentionally killing her child. The direct and intent action of chemotherapy is to kill the cancer that's killing the mother. And it has the tragic impact of killing those rapidly dividing cells of that preborn child as well. To further clarify, imagine a mother who didn't have cancer receive chemotherapy and radiation because she wanted to kill her child, right? RU46 is a cancer drug that is taken to kill a child. The intent is there to kill the child. That clarifies the difference in intent. And if we can agree that intent is necessary, then we can say that, yes, a mother can receive medical intervention to save and prolong her life so long as we're not trying to kill that child. One extra bit of information I'll have in there that I've tragically seen played out concretely in the lives of a lot of people who have said, well, my doctor told me that abortion was medically necessary, or why do then doctors push for abortion rather than these alternative medical procedures? Well, tragically, it's because of three different factors that often play into it. First of all, it's because the doctor isn't viewing that preborn child as a patient, and they're assuming that the mother isn't either. And so bearing that in mind, why do something that may be the other factors more expensive? 
right? Abortion is probably going to be cheaper than a more convoluted, more technically um, advanced procedure that isn't going to kill the child. So finances are a factor within the medical system um, and expertise as well, right? There's unfortunately an awful lot of people who are capable of performing abortions in Canada. Whereas there might be very few doctors who are capable of performing an alternative procedure. And so they're looking at it for finances and also ease of procedure and accessibility of procedure. And so that's why it's so important, so valuable for those mothers to be able to challenge that perspective, challenge the doctor on their pro-abortion worldview, recognizing, no, no, my my child is one of your patients too. We got to find something that's going to work for them and also challenge for a second opinion on how can we proceed with a different um, procedure that isn't going to intentionally kill my child. Yeah, I just want to note, Cam, that we at the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform, the organization we've worked, we work, we work for currently, uh, we've had people reach out to us and say, this is what my doctor is saying. How do I navigate my way through this? My doctor is saying that this is the only option I have. I'm pro-life, but do I listen to my doctor? I also don't want to die. Um, and so they've reached out to us and we've been able to uh, point them to a pro-life doctor, someone who's able to give them medical advice that will both benefit them and most likely and hopefully their child. Well, it certainly will be medical advice that will not directly and intentionally target the life of their child, um, but, but will be u- used to you know try and save both of them. I have a question for you though, Cam, and it's something that people bring up Rarely, I find, because people aren't very familiar with the different circumstances surrounding um, medical issues with pregnancy. But one of the things we've heard from from time and time again, uh, we read about, we talk about, is the situation of an ectopic pregnancy. Now, for those who are not familiar, an ectopic pregnancy is where a newly formed embryo or zygote um, remains and implants within the fallopian tube rather than implanting in the uterus. And so if left alone, the child will start to grow, uh, but the tube will ru- rupture, and this will result in the guaranteed death of the child, and it'll likely result in the death of the mother as well. There's a possibility that the mother could die from this. And so medical intervention is necessary for a situation where, where there already is the child, right? If we have, if we're talking about the mother having cancer, medical ne- uh, intervention is necessary, but it, it in a sense, it has nothing to do with that child. But this is medical intervention that is directly as a result of the preborn child implanting in a place where uh, a preborn child was not meant to implant. So is there a way that you would navigate your, your way through this conversation, Cam? Anything specific you would bring up? Um, how would you sort of talk about this in a way that we're able to show regular folks in the street who may not have studied abortion or medical uh, issues quite like some others have, um, that this is, you know, there's a, a way forward as well in this situation. Absolutely. So, so the quick, very simple answer that whether it applies to ectopic pregnancies, whether it applies to any other medical circumstance that could come up, you don't need to know every single medical circumstance. What you need to know is that could we agree that given the option, we have to take the option that doesn't intentionally kill the child. Whether you know what those options are or not is bonus. Right? We're going to talk about it here, a couple of those different procedures that we can talk about. But even if you don't know the, the alternatives, even if somebody brings up something that you've never heard of, you don't need to um, panic and say, well, I, I don't know the names of the different procedures. You just need to know what we need to do is select a procedure that doesn't intentionally kill the child. Um, 
you make a good point there and a good point of clarification I'll just mention before um, I, I give the full answer. Ectopic pregnancies aren't just pregnancies that are in the fallopian tube. The vast majority of ectopic pregnancies do exist in the fallopian tube. However, what an ectopic pregnancy means is just any pregnancy where, where implantation happens outside of the ideal area in the uterus. So this could be in the fallopian tube, often is, but it could also be right at the cervix um, as well. That, that would be characterized as an ectopic pregnancy. But um, to the response and, and a clarification, and this is where the analogy comes in. So we did the clarification, we did the common ground, we did the definition. The fourth bit is the analogy that can really help with this part, as we want to clarify the difference between an action which directly attacks that child and, a, and something that is going to remove that child from that environment to save the mother's life. And so there's two different procedures, um, or there's two main procedures that can be done to address an ectopic pregnancy where implantation has happened in the fallopian tube, one of which is to take a cancer drug, which is going to attack those rapidly dividing cells, kill the child, and have that dead child expelled during the woman's next period. This is something that I would obviously say is immoral because it acts directly and intentionally on the body of the child. The alternative procedure is to remove that portion of the fallopian tube and desperately try to prolong that child's life as much as possible. Tragically, we have a limitation in our medical uh, technology that um, limits our ability to prolong that child's life. I don't think we've ever successfully, unfortunately, um, been able to prolong that child's life to the point of viability and have them grow up to be an adult. Tragically, they, they often die within hours or days of that procedure. And that removal isn't directly or intentionally killing that child. It is saving the mother. The, the natural pushback, though, is that in removing that portion of the fallopian tube, that fallopian tube will no longer, for the vast majority of mothers, be able to carry eggs um, that are being ovulated, right? And so mothers will say, but I want children. I want to have as many children as possible. I, I don't want to limit my fertility through this procedure. And that's where the analogy comes in, in that imagine you have several children living in your house during a crazy wild outbreak of a fatal case of Ebola. Ebola is something that has sprung up in, in different parts of Africa and Southeast Asia and whatnot. I'm sure there's been cases in North America as well. Something that cannot be cured, something that basically guarantees death for all who take it. It's very contagious. Um, interesting movie on Netflix, I believe, called Contagion. Um, if, if you want to get a, a bit of a, a biological horror movie sort of thing. But anyhow, I digress. Um, imagine you've got several kids and one of them contracts this deadly and highly contagious version of Ebola. You could do one of two things, theoretically. You could shoot your kid in the head, throw them in the dumpster out back, and protect your family from getting Ebola. You could say that kid was going to die from Ebola anyways. You weren't doing anything wrong to them because they were going to die anyways, but it saved the other three, four, five, however many people are in your home. Or you could quarantine that child in a hospital, something which will protect your family and something which tragically will probably hasten the death of that child because of the emotional and psychological strain that goes on them by being in a quarantined unit um, with, with all of the, the hazmat suits and all that kind of stuff. That's going to be terrifying for a child. And as their body breaks down, that may even hasten their death. Tragically, we don't have a cure for this particular strain of Ebola. However, there's a vast difference between directly killing that child by shooting them in the head and 
isolating them in another environment, which will protect that family, tragically likely hasten their death in some way because of the other environmental stress that goes upon them. However, we're not intentionally or directing kill, directly killing them. That's the that I often go. I know, Peter, that that many people at CSPR will use what we call the rowboat analogy, which I've heard said very well and very poorly, depending on who's in the rowboat and who's not in the rowboat. Um, I think that a, a very simple clarification can be imagine you see two people fall out of a rowboat and they are starting to drown. And you're a very good swimmer and you swim out, but you can only save one of them. Is there a moral difference between saving the one of them, putting them on your back, swimming them back to shore, not being able to make it back in time to save the other drowning rowboatist, if that's what you call somebody in a rowboat, a rowboater, I suppose. Um, is there a difference between that and saying, I know that I can't come back and save the second person who's fallen out of the boat, therefore I'm going to hold their head underwater and cause them to drown, and then I'll haul this other person back to shore. Simple clarification that shows the difference between intentional killing and unintentional tragic death. Does that make sense, sir? That does. Yeah, absolutely. That, that absolutely does make sense. In both situations, the, the, the one person is going to die anyway. In the one situation, the person is going to die because we forced them to die sooner. And the other one is because we were unable to save them. And so there's a very, very different uh different purpose, I guess, for, for them dying, a different way that they died in that situation. And, and that's analogous to some of the medical situations we're talking about as well. So thank you so much for that clarification, Cam, and all of that fantastic advice and wisdom from your many years on the streets and having conversations. I do want to highlight one thing as we start to wrap up, and that is this book right here. Cam, you probably have it on your shelf. I know I you do. I went it's to an intern Stuck. maybe, but... Okay. <laughs> Oh, we give we give all of our interns one of their own. I don't know if you guys do as well, but um, we do. If your interns are listening. They might have to come to your office and talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a book by our colleague Justina Van Man, and it's called "Stuck: A Complete Guide to Answering Tough Questions About Abortion." A lot of the things that we talk about are in here. Let me look at the table of contents. Uh, we look at the humanity of preborn children, and you ask when does life begin. There's some scientific references and all of that. Um, there's examples of conversations that we've had already, um, some sort of testimony spotlights where we use those arguments. We talk about personhood. We talk about, um, you know, different arguments that are used. It's my body, my choice. We talk about some of the really hard cases um, and, and try to work our way through that and give you apologetics that you can use when you're in these conversations. So I want you, I hope you keep listening to the podcast because we're going to keep bringing up a lot of these arguments as well. And uh, we're going to clarify things as time goes on and present new arguments that we hear. But if you want to learn more, if you want to go more in depth, if you want to have a fantastic resource on your bookshelf for you, your family, your children, your parents, your grandparents, your friends, your neighbors, whoever it might be. Maybe you want to buy a bunch and just hand them out across your street. Um, whatever, whatever, you know, you do you. Um, go check it out. You can find more about Stuck, a complete guide to answering tough questions about abortion on our website, ProLifeGuys.com. Dot com. That's prolifeguys.com. Cam, as we start to wrap this up, or as we do wrap this up, sir, do you have any final thoughts, any things that you'd like to share with our wonderful listeners? Yeah, a couple things. So as, as we've, I mean, we used to say this after every episode and we just kind of assumed that everyone would hopefully do it anyways, but I'll mention it again, go out and have conversations, right? Like Peter and I don't talk into the mic just so that you can get more information. That's 
totally a part of it, but we want you to be applying these skills and tools that you need in conversations with the people around you. And so read stuck, listen to the podcast, but please have conversations, apply what you're learning to the conversations around you. Um, and a way that you can get even more info and even more, um, kind of direction how to do that is that um, you can join us for one of our upcoming crash courses that at the time of recording, we've got a, a crash course coming up here in Calgary. You can find out about all of the crash courses and other events that we have on the parent organization, CCBR's website, which is www.endthekilling.ca. Um, check out the different events that we have on, whether it's our Florida mission trip, whether it's our various crash courses around the country, whether it's even new programs that we have, talks and whatnot. Um, Find more opportunities to get us in there and help us help you. Um, part of the crash course is going to be applying these skills, doing some door knocking. Door knocking seems daunting, I know, um, but you're going to get to pair up with people like Peter or I um, and listen to our conversations with real people about abortion. You'll also get to um, have your own conversations with a safety net of Peter and I there to jump in whenever you get tongue-tied or anything like that. So check out those opportunities. Not only that, but we've got some incredible other content coming down the tube. Not only um, swag content that I've been talking about for the last couple of weeks here. Um, we're, we're getting that up on the store, but also want to give you a little bit of a sneak peek as to some of the names of people that we've got coming down the tube for the autumn coming up here. We're going to have Josh Brom from the Equal Rights Institute joining us for an episode. Really looking forward to that. We're going to have a rep from uh, Silent No More Awareness campaign coming up. We're going to have a really cool guest, a friend of mine from Kelowna, British Columbia, um, a fella whose girlfriend had an abortion to talk about the impact of abortion, the role of men in abortion, and how men can be involved and how men should be involved in trying to prevent abortions within their own personal experience and whatnot and what his journey has been like after that. Other very, very cool names are going to be coming down the tube as well. We're really excited about them. We've got some A-list pro-life rock stars coming on the show. So that's a big thing. Um, and... Peter, I, I'm sure that you'll touch on it as well, but we've got some extra series coming up here as well. After this recording, I'm going to go straight into the recording of another story time with the guys. I had a really cool experience last night at my baseball game, actually, believe it or not. And it's not just about me um, hitting singles because I didn't hit super well last night. I went two for six with two singles, which, no, a single and a double, but um, I, I digress. Uh, you don't care about my baseball probably, but a really cool story from that story time with the guys is a, um, a Patreon only series that you can get access to. We'll, we'll show a little, uh, some, some tidbits here and there to try to, um, entice you into um, becoming a Patreon supporter as well. You get the bonus content, you get early content, you get lots of other stuff. Um, those were a couple points for me, Peter, what do you got to wrap things up? I was just thinking maybe we should start a petition of whether people actually want to hear your baseball stats. And then maybe oh. every week we can share what what happened during your last game and what you can improve on. But anyway, that, that, that would probably be better for another podcast. Although I do, uh, I do like listening to your stats and your stories and your passion for the game of baseball and, uh, and not just your game of baseball, but um, you know, a, a lot of times it's hard to have these conversations about abortion uh, in places where people aren't actually pro-life, right? When we're, at the wire when we're at a, you know, on our baseball team or soccer team or whatever it might be. But uh, a lot of respect to you, sir, for having those conversations when they come up and, uh, and, and being that voice for the voiceless, not just when you're on the clock, uh, but also when you're, you're doing other things in your life as well. So that's that. Um, yeah, there, there are some other things coming down the line that uh, we're not going to talk about quite yet because um, we don't have a timeline on them. 
but we're really, really excited about some sort of like investigative journalist type uh, things looking back on a history. And uh, anyway, all that to say, stay tuned for more, for more guests, for more content and all of that. As we wrap this up, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us on the podcast. Reach out to us if you have any questions, comments, concerns, clarifications, whatever it might be uh, on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, and that's by searching the Pro-Life Guys. If you're watching on YouTube and you want to listen on your commute, check us out on Apple Podcasts or another podcast catcher or vice versa. Watch us on YouTube and uh, reach out to us as well uh, on our contact form. And you can find the whole archive of our content on our website, prolifeguys.com. That's prolifeguys.com. We are humbled that you continue to join us, that you continue to listen, and that you have a passion for learning more about the abortion war and abortion apologetics. We hope you're able to use them and uh, let us know how those work when you use them in your conversations. And join us if you're not using them in conversations. Join us in changing minds, saving lives, and doing what we can to transform our culture. Thank you so much. My name is Peter. That's Cam. We are the Pro-Life Guys. God bless each and every one of you. Mm.